Marcus Marcus controls the power and wealth of a vast military and religious empire. Yet one horrific crime threatens to destroy everything in his world. Addled by drugs and grief, Marcus Marcus begins a trans-dimensional journey that will ultimately force him to confront a dark and devastating truth. Chapter 28 Charred Meat I awoke to the faint smell of charred meat and chemicals. My throat was parched. I opened my eyes to gloomy lighting, found I was lying on a bed. Sitting up, I saw that I was in a place filled with beds and whispers and a brief momentary wailing. Moving around the room, were tall, dark shapes that reached tentacles over the figures lying on the beds. One of the tall shapes turned. Red eyes glinted. Stars, I whispered fearfully. Is this Trishika? Have I been snatched by Mel Carisha? Calm yourself, Your Excellency. A voice spoke softly to the left of me. It belonged to a young man wearing the black-green sheened garb of an auger. He leaned towards me. I had a flash of memory from my childhood. A carrion crow ramming its bill into the skull of an injured pigeon. Seeing my alarm, the auger leaned back on his seat and put a smile on his face that I guess was supposed to be reassuring. You are in the medical bay. Of the wolf craft we scunner, he said. En route to Algalma, another wolf craft is escorting this one. By the grace of the divinities, your excellency is alive and well, and nothing can harm you now. Who are you? I asked, aware as I spoke that there had to be something profoundly wrong with me, that I should begin talking to a stranger as if nothing had befallen me. But that's shock for you. It likes to sit back, relax, smoke a cigar, and keep a watch out for the perfect moment to leap up and kick a man in the nuts. I am Augur Kokani, Your Excellency, replied the young man. I arrived in Algalma three days ago. You are here because of the cursing business, I said. That is so, said Kokani. There seems to have been some misunderstanding regarding Augur Bramlint. He cursed one of my ships. My raised voice attracted the attention of one of the tall, red-eyed beings. It moved towards me swift and silent. As it drew closer, I could see it was merely a mechanical device. They have no human paramedics explained Kokani. That's why I came down here, to offer comfort to the wounded and prayers for the dying. The robotic paramedic 
reached a tentacle out and touched my neck, then my forehead. After this cursory examination, it left again. It moved to a bed some twenty feet away and leaned over the small, still figure of a child. I need to get back to my duties, Your Excellency, said Cockadi, if I may. Of course, I said. As I spoke, the robot pulled a sheet over the child, then pushed the bed towards the medical bay's doors. The child's body was placed on top of a pile of shapes wrapped in white sheets. I grabbed Kokani's arm. I pointed to the pile. Is Iftek there? I whispered. No, his honour is well. Then where is he? Why is he not here with me? I demanded. I only spoke with his honour briefly, Your Excellency, explained Kokani. He had business to attend to, but he asked me to keep an eye on you. His honour will return as soon as he can. Suddenly I felt ashamed. I was alive and unharmed, yet demanding my vizier like a child demanding the attention of his mother. I looked to the pile of dead bodies by the door. Was the infant's mother one of the dead, or was she lying on one of the beds dreaming of her child, unaware she would never again hear his laughter or tend his scrapes and bruises? Who are these people? I asked Kokari. The ogre leaned towards me and ever so quietly explained, They are visible earth heretics. They come from a village in the Trag territories of the Narn Prince. One of the villagers blew up a troop carrier, killing seven Narn guards. Narn demanded the village be interdicted under the extirpation agreement, but things became bogged down at the international level. It took months of wrangling before agreement was reached, by which time the villagers had fled. They managed to buy a rocket and crew and blasted off, but the rocket was old and burst into flames within sight of Algalma. Your bullet pod was caught in the explosion. Kokani stopped talking and took a deep breath before continuing. It is a belief, Your Excellency, among the heretics that if they can reach Algalma, then they will be given sanctuary, allowed passage out into the three zones of humanity. It is even said that some are allowed to settle in the caverns. That is one of the reasons Ogre Bramland was on Algalma, Your Excellency, to look into this issue. He stopped talking again. He looked at me, his expression questioning. I ignored his look and instead asked him to explain the problems over the extirpation agreement. There were a number of issues, the auger said, 
his voice quiet and touched with regret. Should the entire village be interdicted, or just the family of the terrorist? What ordnance to use? Narn insisted ancient weaponry, like white phosphorus, would be most appropriate, Your Excellency. Other princes demanded a quicker killing. There was also the issue of airspace. Apparently his honour, Iftek, wanted guarantees that no Narn flights would stray into Glake territory. As the young man spoke, it seemed to me the smell of burnt meat grew stronger. I was filled with an urge to beat him or have him doused in liquid fire, but before I could respond to the monstrosity of his words, I saw a woman making her way towards us. Her hair was tangled and black, her eyes teary. Sirs, she said, I have lost my son. Please help me find him. His name is Yusef. He has green eyes. Kokani took her hands in his. Of course we will help, he said. Do you have a place to rest while we look? The woman nodded and indicated one of the beds. The three of us walked over to the bed, the ogre quietly talking to the woman all the while. When we got to the bed, he helped her lie down on it. Close your eyes, sister, he said. And she did. Then he turned to me. May I ask your excellency's help? He asked. I nodded, and together we went over to the bodies by the door. She said her boy is six years of age, he said. Let us see if we can find him. Kokane pulled back the sheep, covering the dead child on top of the pile, but he was too young. We placed him on the floor, then began moving the other bodies. It was a gruesome business, complicated by the robot's lack of comprehension. Whilst we held a corpse, the robots would not interfere. But as soon as we placed a body on the ground, one of the robots would put it back on the pile. Eventually we located the body of a small boy. His body was a blackened husk, but his face was undamaged. Kokani spat on his hand and wiped the soot from the dead child's face. Using his fingers to straighten his hair, pulled the sheet up to his neck. The material was not thick enough to hide the charred black form beneath. I pulled a sheet off a bed, but a robot took it from me. The ogre took off his dark cloak and wrapped it around the dead child. We went back to the woman. Kokani handed me the body. Whilst I stood nearby, the young ogre talked to the woman, then he turned and nodded to me. I walked over and placed the child on the bed. The woman looked at his face and shook her head. No, she said calmly. That is not Yosef. Yosef is not dead. He has green eyes.
Thanks for listening to the latest chapter of Marcus Marcus and Hurting Heart. Be sure to tell all your friends, family and ancient enemies about the story. If you like it, rate it, review it, pass on the word. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app so you never miss a chapter.